Hey, filmmakers, Jason Brubaker talking to you from sunny Southern California. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast. Joining us today is the one and only Tom Malloy, independent producer, raised over $25 million to produce multiple feature films throughout the course of his career. If you've been listening to Filmmaking Stuff for any length of time, you know that Tom is the real deal. And he just got back from Cannes. And I'm here to, uh, to ask him, what his big takeaways were uh, so that you can benefit from his knowledge and experience. But um, it, it's not like we weren't getting your updates, Tom. I, I was sitting back here, uh, yeah. you know, with, with my, with my baby daughter, just hanging out, watching all your cool red carpet premieres and glitz and glamor. And how, how are you feeling coming back from there? <laughs> Well, good. I mean, they did. I, I joke about the you, you joke about the red carpet glitz and glamour, and there is that, but they don't see the 14, 15 meetings that we took <laughs> all day at the oh, market. You, you mean know. you actually have to work? Yes, we do actually have to work, and uh, and that's I love just as much, you know, as the buyer meetings and the selling to distributors and stuff like that. And so that's you know what you do is it's a seven day marathon of craziness, at least seven days, and you do do those all day and then you go to premieres and and parties and then you go to bars afterwards and kind of an early night in can is if you go to sleep before two like if you go to sleep before two people are like oh you went in early because <laughs> the time just goes so fast and everybody goes so late i'd say the normal night in can is between three and four and then like the going hard night is the 5 a.m 6 a.m's and then but with a lot of those people that try to go hard every night they get to sleep till noon but when you're in the market you got to be up and in the market before the buyers get there and before your meetings start, which can start as early as nine o'clock. So um, it's, it's a marathon. <laughs> you mentioned that before you went that this market's different than EFM or AFM because it's kind of a typical trade show layout that everybody's on an open floor. Mm. Well, EFM has some of that. EFM has the gropiest that that is like a trade show, and but it's it's definitely they also have the hotels, but it's definitely not like AFM where everything's included in a hotel. The market is an oh yeah, an open trade show floor, and you could just go from booth to booth and talk to people, and it's, so it's much more open and accessible. And the market itself is probably the most fun one because there's so much going on. The festival is the biggest film festival in the world, you know. So it's like there's always that glitz and glamour that pretty much every star that's in the movie if you look and you say oh this person's in the movie Leonardo DiCaprio it's like he'll be there that he was there this year you know it's like so there's none there's no situation where like the stars aren't showing up for the movies they're all going to be at Cannes of course so yeah and uh you know you you gave us a really good episode before you left about how to plan for Cannes and how to attend it and how to get meetings and all that kind of stuff um and any of you that are listening to this go back a couple episodes you'll find it but now that you're back from Cannes, it's a new year, people are meeting up. What, what would you say the biggest takeaway is from the market? Well, let me first say that I thank all the people that came up to me. We had uh, several people uh, come up and say that they love that podcast that have been, and helped them prepare for Cannes, which was really great. So thank you to everybody that did that and, and listened. Um, as far as takeaways from Cannes, I would say that there is on the buyer end, as far as so if you're listening as a filmmaker on the buyer end, there is a lot, a big push to international VOD, AVOD and uh, fast channels, which is fast as free ad supported television, you know, so people want to watch stuff for free. And honestly, it's, it's really, I feel because of the young generation that came in and went to watch their YouTube 
you know, and YouTube is free and that it's the biggest AVOD service in the world. And that's what they're used to. So, you know, it's going to be mo mostly that ad supported stuff. And I think there's a lot of people that had channels and had subs and views and stuff like that, that are trying to um, get films for those channels, which you can make revenue on, you know? So, but at the same time, not insane amounts of revenue unless the film really pops. So you can still have to be smart about your budgets. Yeah, talk talk about that. So if if everything's ad revenue supported, does that revenue support? Let me ask the question a different way. What budget level does that ad revenue support? Because you're talking, is is there a glut of these channels internationally? These fast channels, and and again, mm. like what kind of money can you make? Yeah, they're more and more, and they're beginning. You know, some of them are getting bigger and bigger, and the money. It, it's obviously some of it depends on the film itself. One, how good the film is. Two, the genre of the film. You know, you talk about an action movie versus a drama, it's going to be completely different. And then three, obviously, for the big, big numbers, you talk about cast. So um, it depends on a lot of factors, but a movie can make money that way. It's just, you know, there's always that when somebody comes to pitch us, and there was a lot of pitches, and sorry, I'm my pen, there was a lot of pitches where, um, a filmmaker come in and pitch, they got this movie that they were trying to put together. And then every once in a while, we listen for that smart pitch. You know, oh, you have an action movie and you only need $500,000 and the first one sold to this company and this is the trailer. And it's like, that's a great pitch. You know, but when somebody comes in and goes, like, I have a little horror movie, I don't want to put stars in it and it's $3 million. It's like immediately I'm tuned out going, you know, this this person doesn't doesn't get it. You know, or somebody comes in, and even on the extreme angles, they show this awesome trailer and they're like, yeah, we made that movie for $40,000. <laughs> then it's like, okay, let's do it. Let's do another one. You know, it's like, so there's all kinds of stuff like that that happened. But I saw something that was really cool. George Lucas said that he said, it's not about the movie you make. It's about the movie you make with the resources that you have. So if you have a $40,000 movie and it is really incredible, and you only had that money, then that just shows the level of filmmaker that you are. Um, by the way, like I've been saying that in these podcasts for many years. So thank you, George. Uh, You've been I, saying that one? Yeah, yeah. As if uh, as if George Lucas like credited me with it. I, I probably got that off Robert Rodriguez. But I mean, that's a big you know, core tenet of what we teach here at Filmmaking Stuff, which is, you know, make the movie you can make with the mm -hmm. resources you have, so. Oh yeah, I mean, you remember, I always used to say, always choose to make the movie, you know what I mean? I mean I've had people that, that are be like, yeah, well, we have a half a million in a bank, but we're waiting to get three million to make this movie. And it's like, make that a half a million dollar, you know, movie. I mean, I mean I'm not saying give up on the $3 million movie, but if it's been a couple of years and you can't get it going, try to figure out, okay, if you actually have a half a million, do it, do that movie for half a million. Yeah, know? and this kind of falls into the whole seven levels of film producing that we'll get into in future episodes. Um, which, you know, one of the levels is exactly that, you know, you go a step above the backyard indie and you do something that actually has marketability. Um, mm -hmm. But talking about that marketability, the thing, the thing that you're talking about, just to define it for everybody here, is the idea that, you know, you make the move that you can make with the resources you have, but you make sure that you understand the business side of it too. And, and as Tom, as you're pointing out, Tom, it's like, Hey, I want to make this like movie that requires a $40 million budget, but I'm going to make it for, you know, $50,000 in my backyard. That's just not going to fly or, yeah. or vice versa. Um, but the vice versa one is interesting because you mentioned that there are some movies, my gosh, especially with production technology now being what it is, um, you can make something look incredibly 
uh, high value, high production value for a lot less than before. So um, I, I know from another conversation, you and I were talking that some of these companies are actually doing that. They're, they're saying, you know what, uh, what can we scrap together to put something out there that does really good business? So did you come across some of those folks that are like some oh, of the yeah. established companies that are just busting stuff out? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of my our competitors for my company Glasshouse are doing that. So that's happening. And and there's I can, you know, name the companies that are doing that. They're producing a lot in-house um, because the market is is very much different and, and tougher. So as a filmmaker, I mean, my best advice to any filmmaker would be try to make it as low as possible without losing production value that you're, you know. So there's so much that I've seen been pulled off for very low budgets. And again, I'm not saying you always have to do that because you could, you can say, I'm, I'm only making a $3 million movie and it's fine, but you got to get significant cast at that point. You have to have significant distribution and, you know, uh, so partner with a producer that is, has those cast connections and things like that. So, and I, and I've kind of gone back and forth on thoughts. Like we have bigger movies. I've just produced a $2 million film in, in um, February and but before that, I did a very small one that was under hundred thousand dollars. So it's like go back and forth because some can be quick kind of commerce plays where you can make money off of them, and some can be longer term, bigger movies that hopefully can do very well. But you know, they, there's always that risk with the bigger money. Like meaning, if the one, if a movie you make is under hundred thousand, loses all its money, it's not, which would be tough. But it's it's not going to be that big a deal. But if you make a three million dollar movie and you make five thousand dollars, which I've seen people do, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's any business too. It's like, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to, you know, have fun, but also make a profit um, or you don't get to do it again. Um, and speaking of that too, aside from some of the movies and stuff that people are producing out there, what other kinds of like technology, I know the talk about artificial intelligence and stuff is, is sort of, it's in the filmmaker landscape right now where everybody's like, Oh my gosh, is this going to take my job away? Was there any of that kind of stuff that can, yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely, there's some talk amongst my sales agent distributor friends that if, they, if there could be an AI version of dubbing, that that would be really beneficial for movies. Like if say I'm in a movie and they're dubbing it and they're, it can literally, the AI can duplicate my voice exactly in a different language and even pixelate your your mouth so that you can it looks like you're speaking that language that would be a game changer if they can do that accurately and you know you could push a button and completely dub a movie into different languages that would be amazing because it's very tough nowadays to sell a movie to germany and spain those are two that come to mind that don't really like subtitles they don't really you know germany does not really do american movies with subtitles so they need dubs and um, and that's why it's so important because it's just looking at some older films that we have in our library and they don't have the M&E tracks. Like, just to be clear, the M&E is the music and effects track. It's really the whole thing. They always think M&E, but it's really DME. Um, dialogue is one track, music is one track, effects is another track. and uh, Or dialogue is one track, music and effects in another track. The key is the dialogue has to be different. Obviously, you can't dub dialogue music and effects because it's like if there's music in the scene or there's an explosion in the background that has to be on a different track than the dialogue so um you know as long as you you have those things when you're recording which you should have them separated that that would make to dub you can't dub a movie that had that that where that's all on one track just, you know at least nowadays technology would not support that or it'd be insanely uh the cost would be through the roof 
Yeah, I think international delivery and, and what's required uh, deliverables um, is always uh, a wake up call for any filmmaker that produces content. And they're like, oh, hey, you got a great distribution deal, but now you need all these elements and they have to be perfect. Um, yep. And, you know, it's probably not the most sexy topic we talk about, but it's one of the most essential because without it, you can't have a deal. But you bring up something interesting from the AI perspective in that it doesn't sound like people are too worried, at least on the sales agent side, maybe the the voiceover actors and, and that kind of stuff. That's another conversation, but um, that creates some efficiency and that would be yeah. pretty cool because then you can deliver to other countries Make revenue. For, for a lot less than what it costs these days, which then yeah. opens up the possibility of a lot of revenue uh, for filmmakers. So Totally. I mean, yeah. some of those dubs, you, you're talking... Gosh, low end eight thousand all the way up to twenty five thousand dollars per country, per language, per country. That's very tough, you know. And it's like, um, you know, you have to make sure that the movie's big enough to make it back in this country, you know. And maybe you you, you dub in German, you spend twelve thousand dollars dub in German, it makes you know eight thousand dollars. That's stupid. But if you dubbed it for the price of a three hundred dollars software, that's all profit. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool, and I, I think that's like a like a ray of optimism. Um, and, you know, as these tools become more prevalent, everybody's going to find ways to use them and hopefully uh, continually produce better and better content. Um, I know, and I appreciate you taking time to chat with this because I know you got a lot on your plate, but if there was like one piece of advice for filmmakers that kind of came out of that, it, is there anything that sticks out to you that you could share like a nugget of Tom Malloy wisdom as we wrap up today? I would say go to markets. I, I have said that so many times, but I looked at some, like I had an actor friend that just showed up and invest in it too. You know, you go there and you go, Oh, it's going to, it's going to cost this much and the flights, this and that. So I can just do it because it's like, we even, I, we had uh, several filmmaking stuff, people that just decided to show up. And it's like, that was life-changing. Like um, one I was talking to, she said, level up. I mean, like literally leveled up her career just by going so think about it when you're going out to the club or you're doing you're investing in stocks or something like that, but you really want to make movies. How about invest or you buy a new car or something like that? How about invest in your career by going to these markets? You, you set aside X amount of dollars and the connections that you'll make and hopefully follow up on will level up your game. So you missed cans, okay? Like you have um well, you have Toronto and MIPCOM coming up next, September to October. But the big one for everybody listening is most likely AFM, which is in October uh, 31st, November 5th. Like, do it. Get out there and see it and see what everybody's talking about. Yeah. And then uh, you just also mentioned that folks that are in the mastermind always have somebody to talk to. Uh, yes. That is the filmmaking stuff mastermind led by uh, Tom Malloy mm -hmm. and yours truly. Um, Tom. I really appreciate you coming by. Thanks for carving some time out of your always busy schedule, but especially now. Um, and uh, we'll be talking with you again soon. Thanks. Awesome, brother. Hey, everybody. If you liked today's episode, check us out over at filmmakingstuff.com. You'll see some information about the mastermind. Uh, we still have some open seats, so now's the time to apply. As always, take action and make your movie now.